Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Sixers fans, Philly gets a close 118-114 win over the Cleveland Cavaliers. Really, the Sixers struggled in the second half. We'll jump into that. But before we do, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us pretty much wherever you get your fix, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you name it, we are there. Always appreciate a five-star review as well. And of course, check us out at libertyballers.com. We'll have you covered during the stretch drive of the season and all the way through the playoffs. Joining me for this one. Finally, a win, Mr. Jackson Frank, where they did not get their asses kicked. Uh, Looking at this game, Jackson, the Sixers were dominant in the first half. They were getting everything they wanted on the offensive end, shot nearly 58%. They were at 57.8, 8 of 18 from deep, actually put up 72 over the first two quarters and had a 13-point lead. And then everything crumbled in that third quarter. Cleveland went on a 22 to six run, ended up going up by five going into the final 12 minutes, but the Sixers were able to make some shots, especially Tyrese Maxey. We'll get into that and more, but Jackson, what did you think about that third quarter specifically in this game that cost the Sixers a big lead? Like we saw again, not that late against Denver, but at this one in the, in the third quarter. Yeah, it was interesting because, you know, obviously Cleveland just kind of bit by bit worked itself back into the game in that third quarter, even to kind of close you know, some of the, some of the second, um, but, I, but, you know, when I got to the point where I think Cleveland was up 85 to eight, I don't know if that was in the fourth or the late third, but um, I found myself trying to figure out what exactly I thought was the issue because obviously the shots weren't falling. Um, but, you know, but the defense was a bigger issue, right? When you give up 20, you know, 21 points in a quick, quick time frame, there's some issues. Um, I think, you know, the Sixers biggest issue defensively is, not as like this goes into the general issue of perimeter defense, but they don't really ever kind of punch first defensively. It always feels like they're on their heels or never getting into a guy's, you know, into a guy's chest, into his handle, into his dribbling, you know, radius. Um, they're always kind of letting guys get where they want. Um, and so that kind of felt like the issue happened a lot of an early offense stuff um, when they would help on a rotation or overhelp on, or something they they're not fast enough to to get back you know to their man it's just a slow team really outside of outside of Matisse and Tyrese um so I think that was an issue obviously you know Matisse wasn't very good tonight it feels like a lot of the times he sets the tone for them defensively um in terms of how the game's going to go uh, and for the most part he's been good this year but there are games like you see tonight where he's three fouls in 26 minutes he's two seven two of seven from the floor missed quite a few shots around the rim that he you know you'd expect him to make so um, just kind of a lack of imposing itself at the point of attack and then inability to kind of cover ground efficiently, which is a longstanding issue. Um, but those are kind of the big things that stood out to me. And I think they're still also kind of adjusting to the way that Harden likes to play defensively. Um, off the ball, he likes to kind of roam a little bit, use those quick hands, that smart positioning. On the ball, he's really big at switching. He, he's just not very good laterally. Um, and so he tries to avoid those on-ball matchups as often as possible. And I think 
you know, guys are still kind of getting adjusted to that. Um, so those would be the, the two biggest things. And obviously the offense, you know, they, they went cold, but they're also due for, for some regression. They were shot so well in the first half, like you said, uh, still ended up having a very good offensive night scoring 118. I think their offensive rating was still above 120. So um, largely defensive base, but they also just experienced some regression in that third quarter because they were shooting lights out in the first half. Jackson, you mentioned the defense and, and, you know, we look at Matisse Thibel and know that why he's in the starting lineup, he's basically going to guard the best player on the opposite team, unless it's a big man, uh, pretty much all well, every night to start off, I think. And, you know, maybe to, Tobias Harris might get a look there too, but when you're looking at, at the six or just the lack of athleticism in, in terms of having those guys like that are able to, like you mentioned, be a little bit more aggressive on the defensive end where if they if they get up in into the guy, they're not worried too much about getting beat. You know what I mean? Especially not giving up the middle, but they're they're confident in their speed. Like, is there anybody that maybe Doc hasn't played that you're looking at? Like one of the guys who's off the end of the bench that might be able to help fill that role? Yeah, it's tough just because, you know, we're going to get into it, but this, you know, this team wasn't just loaded with, with 12, 12 or 11 guys that they can play regardless of what doc or daryl says no disrespect to them obviously they know the game of basketball very well but i mean it's just it's just not true that this team is incredibly deep um you know i i don't think it's actually worthwhile just given how much we saw him struggle offensively in his rotation but like maybe charlie brown's worth a shot um you know we saw what he could do as a as a defensive guy uh you know middle of the year um the jumper isn't really there really struggles to finish as well uh so i do worry that you would just get a kind of a lesser version of matisse who doesn't have that same chemistry with the Joel or a Harden or even a Maxi and Tobias. So um, I don't think there's a great answer. And I think part of that is the fact that the Sixers, you know, the, the buyout market wasn't very robust this year, but um, the Sixers were so locked in on getting that deal done with, for James Harden and rightfully so, because that's a bigger upgrade than anything off the bench or even a fifth starter, but they didn't really kind of figure out how to address that fifth starter question. Um and you have nights like tonight where Matisse plays 26 minutes and it's clear how much cleaner the offense runs without him on the floor when they go four out around Joel and they run a lot of high ball screens with Harden and Joel can roll and he can even get to the face up there and make stuff happen. Um, so they're in a tough spot. I think it's something that's going to be an issue the rest of the year and, and one that they have to address in the offseason. Let's talk about some of the good stuff, uh, Jackson. I know, again, I, I hate sounding like the world is falling when the Sixers win because they did ultimately get a win against a, a pretty damn good Cavs team that likely is going to be in at least in the play-in, but still holding a playoff spot at this point. Joel Embiid, 28th birthday today, uh, was lights out throughout the game yet again, 35 points, 17 rebounds, uh, dominated the Cavs early. A little bit, he came out really hot, had 13 points, I believe, in the first quarter as well. Uh, it's his 32nd, 30-point game. Of, of the year right now, but when you're looking at the way he's playing and, and the level he's at right now, is there anybody in the league that you would have over him at, at this point, just considering how much he means to the Sixers and, and what they do, especially on, on both ends of the floor? I mean, I think right now the only guys that are on that level um, are obviously the two fellow MVP candidates in Nicole Yocchiniano and Kumbo, and then the former MVP candidate in Kevin Durant, who obviously would be in the discussion most likely if he hadn't suffered an injury. Um, all those guys are playing well. I mean, we're not, this is a Nuggets podcast, but the Jokic, I think, dropped like 29, 14, and seven against the Wizards today as well. Um, Giannis has been great, you know, all year. Um, KD's been really good since coming back from injury. So um, those will be the only guys right now that I have in that discussion. Um, I think LeBron's defensive inconsistencies have been too kind of prevalent. And I get it. Like he's, he's doing so much offensively. And, you know, there comes a time where you got to preserve yourself, but the defense hasn't been there for me. So, uh, those would be the only three. And obviously, you know, Katie's missed so much time. You know, I think he's kind of a, you know, on a per game basis, he's with, he's in that grouping, but 
um, season long. I think it's those three MVP MVP cans, Chua included, that are kind of on that level right now. Um, but yeah, just really impressive game from on both ends. I thought um, communicated things well defensively, got to his spots offensively, was really good as a roller, made some really good passes. He hasn't had to pass as much with with Harden back, of course, but I thought this was maybe his best passing game since Harden entered the lineup. Um, I could be missing a game or two, so I'm not trying to be, you know, ironclad in that take, but just felt like he was really good, had that big swing pass to Maxi late in the game, kind of let the defense double him and then made the immediate pass and Maxi did his thing. So um, short answer is not many, but uh, it's just a bunch of guys who are top, you know, 50, 60 players of all time conservatively. Obviously, you'd probably put Giannis and uh, KD higher than that, and, and Jokic will get there in due time. Jackson, I wanted to ask you some more stuff about kind of the Sixers big three and maybe Tobias Harris is playing himself into that uh, into that group. So a big four, but we'll do that after a short break. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, we're back. Jackson, just wanted to talk again. Like we talked about how great Embiid has been all season. I, I think at this point in bookmakers have him as the odds on favorite to win the MVP. I would vote for him in a second if I if I had the option to. But looking around him and, and we have Harden, who, again, didn't shoot the ball too well today, hasn't been particularly shooting the ball well the last few games, but did have 21 points and 11 dimes. Tyrese Maxey obviously made that big three uh, towards the end of the game there that that put the Sixers up by four with about a minute 20 to go. And then Tobias Harris finding his groove. I, I like what I saw from him today, too, in terms of being more assertive in catching and shooting, uh, you know, especially from the three-point line. And I know Tobias Harris's game isn't exactly tailor-made for today's NBA, but I like when he's able to get a foot into the paint and and kind of bully whoever's guarding him to, to get whatever shot he wants to get, although he did have that boneheaded play at the end on uh, Karis LeVert that, that gave the, the Cavs at least a chance. Um, to get it down to one, but looking at what else the Sixers have, because those guys combined and Paul Hedrick of Liberty Ballers pointed this out on Twitter. Those guys, I'm talking Embiid, Harden, Maxi Harris combined for a hundred points. The rest of the guys combined for like <laughs> six of 20 shooting for 18 points. Like is, does that concern you at all? When you look at the big picture and you're getting into the playoffs and, and you're playing the Milwaukee's you're playing the Brooklyn's the Miami's where the Sixers, again, they have NBA quality depth. I, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't think that's, that's, the, the case that they're like, oh man, they have a bunch of scrubs coming off the bench. Although you can look at DeAndre Jordan as, as maybe playing himself into that category. Uh, Shake Milton, Isaiah Joe, those guys barely got some run, but definitely Danny Green, George Niang, those guys have proven themselves uh, throughout their careers. Although D- Danny has had a bit of a down year so far this season. But when you're looking at 
just in general, like when you're stacking up against NBA championship quality squads, like you're looking at, okay, you got four really good players and then everybody else around them. Like, is there anything that concerns you about having the Sixers uh, needing those guys to combine to really carry the load offensively night in and night out? Yeah, I think you should definitely be concerned about kind of the lack of depth on this team. Uh, you know, Shake Milton has not really found his rhythm since returning from from injury. Uh, and in fairness to him, obviously he's had a, a weird year, had the ankle injury to start the season after a really good training camp reportedly, and then had that tough injury where Andre Drummond kind of, you know, accidentally need him in the back. That can't feel feel good. Andre Drummond's, you know, a very strong and forceful player. Um, and, and then he comes to this new team with a new situation and they're staggering guys more and with the starters. And so he's kind of got to adapt, but um, as much as I think Isaiah Joe can get there as a rotation guy, he wasn't good in his four minutes today. Missed a shot at a foul kind of navigating the screen. I think on an and one for Brandon Goodwin, um, you know, George Niang, I think has been a really, really nice bright spot for this team this year. But when the shot's not falling, it looks a lot tougher as mm. has been the case the last couple of games. He was great against Orlando, but the last couple of shots come back to earth a little bit or a lot of bit. And you kind of the, you know, the inability to defend in space, uh, the slow rotations, all of it kind of rears its head. And he looks like a more frustrating player than maybe he is. Uh, Danny, as you mentioned, it's been a tough six or so weeks for Danny. Um, I think it's elevated a little bit after tonight, but coming in today, his last 14 games dating back to early February, about 29% from three. Uh, low volume was bad against the Nuggets. Pump faking into a couple of long twos, took an ugly floater. Um, just seems like he's become even slower of a player than he was last year. Uh, and that's limited how often he can get off those clean catch and shoot looks from three. So, um, yeah, they're, they're in a tough spot. And like I said, I think that fifth starter, you know, that fifth starter situation is one that's going to be lingering the rest of the season and could be one of the the reasons this team doesn't achieve its goal of a championship. Uh, and regardless of if, if they do, it, it's something that, that they should address in the off season. So, um, yeah, they're in a tough spot and I think it's, it's not ideal. And like I said, I don't know how trade lines work. I'm not privy to that, but, um, I think if you're the Sixers or a Sixers fan, you would have hoped they would have found something to kind of bolster that final rotation spot. Um, but obviously it's, it's, I wouldn't say you're like, I wouldn't say you're nitpicking because obviously you would, you would hope that a good GM or, you know, I guess president of operations in this case, um, could navigate more than one trade over trade deadline, but I understand this was a very distinct situation given kind of how quickly Harden became available. But um, I do think it's an issue, especially when you lose a drum and you lose Seth Curry. Obviously, you do that trade, you know, ten out of ten, but um, that kind of really kind of saps some of the depth of this team, and that's that's a problem. Yeah, I don't think it helps that Doc pretty much all plays any of his old players who just had a pulse at this point. You know what I mean? Going with DeAndre Jordan and saying he's been great. It's like, no, we can clearly see he hasn't been great. But uh, you're, you're mentioning, you know, we're talking about the struggles of of the non-big, you know, the non, let's just say, best four players that the Sixers have. Looking at James Harden, too, as I mentioned, still very good facilitating uh, overall in this game. And, and he has been pretty much well since his arrival in Philly. But looking at his shooting woes, Jackson, he's 19 of his last 59 from the field, shooting just 38.8% from the field. That's overall um, for the month of March. Why do you think he's having trouble kind of putting up similar efficiency to what he has been before in terms of especially shooting the ball? Because like I said, he's still, you know, averaging close to 10 assists a game so far for the month of March. But when you look at specifically him being able to get off the shots that he wants, when you're when you're analyzing his game, where do you think he could be a little bit better? Uh, yeah, just to – you kind of cut out for me. That was James – you're hard to talk about Harden, I yeah. assume? Yeah. Okay, I want to make sure I'm not talking about the wrong guy. Um, yeah, and I think tonight was interesting because 
what they did with the cap was they put Isaac Okoro on him, who's a very good on-ball defender and has given James Harden uh, issues at times the last couple of seasons, and just sat on his left hip and forced him to go right. Uh, Harden can do some stuff with his right, but especially as a passer, he loves to kind of go back to his left there. So that gave him some issues. But um, I, I I think he, I would say tonight, like Harden was still, ended, I mean, drew so many fouls. He ended up being, ended up scoring 21 on 61% true shooting. You'll take that. Missed some step back threes. Had some, definitely had some possessions where he's uncomfortable. Some kind of weird step back mid-range jumpers you don't usually see him take. Um, but I think just, you know, he just is so much more reliant this year on kind of his handle and his change of pace to great to get downhill and create advantage or get to that step back three than previous years where he was so explosive and had the handle and the footwork and he was just kind of impossible to keep out of the lane and get to his shots. And obviously, you know, too, he doesn't really play with a reliable lob threat. Um, you expect John John Jordan to be that, but I think after John, he's four of 12 at the rim, um, which is awful. Um, he's been good the last few years, even amid his decline, which has largely been tied to defense. He's been good at the rim, according to Cleveland Glass, I think 80% uh, with Brooklyn last year. 71% with LA this year, 69% with uh, Brooklyn the year prior. So that should come around a little bit, but you still close some, some issues with Jordan and he's not the guy that Harden's playing with much. Um, but all of it's generally tied to that just lack of that lack of burst and kind of full, full throttle or immediate acceleration. Um, and so he's kind of, he's relying on hooking the arm to get drives to happen. He's really ground bound as a finisher as well. Um, you saw him go to the floater more against Denver, which I thought was important. He was very good against Denver, especially in the second half when I thought he was kind of dominant offensively. Um, so I think the last couple of games have been kind of what you should expect from Harden. Um, if that, if you've been disappointed, then you probably had too high expectations, but a guy who's going to make a bunch of great passes, get guys involved, be more of a 20 to 24 points per game score than the 30 points maybe 36 or whatever he averaged at his peak a few years ago. That's not him anymore. He just doesn't have the athletic tools to handle that level of volume anymore. So um, I, I'm not really worried with Harden. I think he's been quite good the last couple of games and quite good overall in the year. But um, clearly the first couple of outings with the Sixers um, were maybe a little more than we we should have become accustomed to. But I can he's still playing an all-star all-NBA level the last couple of games. So I'm, I'm not really worried. Yeah, I think he'll I think he'll kind of start to find his footing. And, and he mentioned that too. I believe it was after the Orlando game, uh, maybe after after the, the Denver one on, on Monday, but he was just basically saying it's taken the team some time to to find his footing and getting comfortable with his teammates and kind of their tendencies. And and again, he hasn't exactly played. I think this is just game number 10 right now that we got to uh since he was traded to the Sixers. So you know, waiting to see how he evolves. And he's still got 14 games left. So it's not like you know, they got two games left till they get into the playoffs. He still has some time to, to kind of navigate that. And I think the, the softer schedule at the end of the season, especially because this is the third game in, in, in four nights for the Sixers, I think just having the, the ability to maybe play some easier teams like Detroit, Indiana, will give the team a little bit more time to kind of iron out these kinks. Uh, last one for you, Jackson, before we wrap things up, as we've talked about a lot in the, on the second half of this pod, just given what's gone on with the overall struggles of the bench, and you mentioned like George Yang's been only – Probably the only consistent offensive threat, although, like you mentioned, struggled the last couple of outings, uh, not really getting much from Danny Green, Shake Milton, Isaiah Joe falling, looking like they're each falling out of favor. So Doc's going to, I think, at some point even shorten up to maybe eight guys. Remains to be seen if he does do that. But is there any way you think the coaching staff could try and maybe change things around? Again, you're not going to make these guys just wizard offensive players in the in the last you know three weeks of the season. But just in terms of maybe structurally or looking at rotations and, and changing up the minutes a little bit in order to make sure you do, you are not getting killed when those guys are on the court. 
Yeah, I, I just, you know, you mentioned kind of, I mean, basically it was an eight man rotation day, right? You get seven minutes out of two players in the mm-hmm. perimeter. Uh, Harden played 42 minutes, Maxi 38, Tobias 39. You don't really worry about Maxi and Harris there. They've proven to be able to carry those minutes load. But um, I, I do think Sheik Milton's a guy that you're probably going to want to figure things out. Like I think that the Sixers are going to be a team that you can at least rely a little bit on off the, you know, with, off the bench. Um, just have some some sort of ball handler. It's going to be him. I'd like to see them maybe run more guard to guard screening actions with Harden and, and Shake. I think that could help. Um, you've seen a little bit of that with whether it's Maxi screening for Harden or vice versa. Um, and I just think also it's going to take. I don't know if there's enough time for Shake to kind of fully acclimate. Like I said, he had a bunch of he's had a couple of different prolonged injuries, and then when he comes back from this one, uh, it's a totally different team environment. That can't be easy. So. Um, I'm not necessarily like predicting that shake is all of a sudden going to be a key cog off the bench, but I think he is the guy that could kind of maybe not completely transform things, but improve them to a degree that someone like, I don't expect Danny green to, I don't really expect Isaiah Joe to, um, Deanna Jordan. I, I don't expect you either. And, um, so sure I think you're, you're not expecting <laughs> DJ to, to get any better. I will say, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like I'm not, I don't expect Deanna Jordan to, but I will say, I think, Things will look better when he gets back to what he's been as a finisher. Like I said, it's been really ugly so far, and he should be criticized. You can criticize him for that, but he's still been a good finisher. It's been the defensive inactivity that's been an issue. And I think even though there's been some ugly moments, I think he's been better than what I remembered watching him in L.A. I mean, Brooklyn last year, not saying he's been good, but I do think his minutes will look a little better when he's not a 33% finisher at the rim because nobody in the NBA is that um, but yeah, I think it's going to be Sheik Milton. If, if anything's going to happen, it's going to be him. You're going to get some two man game stuff happening with, with him. Hopefully he can be the good spot up shooter. He's been the last few years, really embrace that off the catch stuff rather than kind of catching and hesitating and driving. So, um, again, I'm not saying all the pressure is on him or that he's going to completely revolutionize things, but he is the guy that I think could improve them to a, to make this bench, at least a more palatable reserve, uh, you know, reserve grouping. Um, and obviously, need George Niang getting, you know, figuring things out again from, you know, beyond the arc would help, uh, you know, as I, as I said, also, John Jordan, not being the worst finisher in the history of basketball. <laughs> um, and if he continues to have some of these, these active, you know, defensive plays, uh, you know, we had that, had that block, I think against someone today he had a nice block against Denver. Um, I'm not saying that all of a sudden, like he's a good, he's back to prime John Jordan, but He's made some plays that I don't remember him making the last couple of years. And I'm not watching every Nets or Lakers game, so I'm not pretending that I've seen every play he's made. But um, and there's a little bit of reason to be optimistic about John Jordan, even if I think it's worthwhile to give a guy like a Paul Reed or Charles Bassey some run. But um, Shake Milton would be my answer here. Just kind of trying to form a better two-man game with Harden and kind of let Harden's playmaking and gravity simplify things for, for Milton. Yeah, and Jake had some. Jake actually had some pretty nice outings, you know, earlier in the season. And I know he dealt dealt with some uh, uh, injury issues that that kept him out. But I mean, like I said, I think he is the guy I would look at that has maybe, like you said, just not a guarantee, but just has the most potential that might be able to kind of solidify that lineup. At least getting, you know, you might not be getting. 15 points a game, but if you're getting at eight to 10 from him consistently, depending on how many minutes he gets, uh, I think that's a win for the Sixers. Jackson, let's wrap things up there. Uh, before we do, don't forget, as I mentioned off the top, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. And of course, Jackson, Paul Hudrick, Steve Lipman, Harrison Grimm, Tom West, I can go down the line. A ton of talented writers have you covered as well at libertyballers.com.